She's Tori. And he's Nick. And this is I Want to Rewatch. An X-Files podcast, season three. Episode 23. Wet Wired. This episode is a Monster of the Week episode and originally aired on Friday, May 10th, 1996. It was filmed in British Columbia, Canada, and it was written by Matt Beck and directed by Rob Bowman. It was preceded by more Secrets of the X-Files at 8 p.m. This special actually appears on disc seven of the season nine DVD for some reason. I don't know why season nine, but it's under the title of Secrets of the X-Files part two. And it recaps the first three seasons and includes interviews with Chris Carter, David Duchovny, and Gillian Anderson. And it's narrated by Mitch Pileggi. Hmm. I'm sure that was fun to watch. Yeah, and I'm not, also not sure why they didn't save it for next week when the season finale airs. But I guess like Goosebumps, the Werewolf of Fever Swamp, parts one and two really needed to be shown <laughs> on May 17th. So yeah. I don't know. If I mean, if it was on Fox before the X-Files, I probably watched it. I don't know. It would depend on if my brothers wanted to watch something else before. Yeah. I don't know if it always aired. It seemed like it was a half hour show because they showed parts one and two. Yeah. From eight o'clock to nine o'clock on this Friday. I actually just looked for this one because I was like, why didn't they show it before the season finale? So I went to go see what was on before the season finale and was like, oh, this. OK, whatever. All right. Yeah. So also last season. I had said that the secrets of the X-Files, which preceded Anasazi, could not be found anywhere. It's also included on the season nine DVD set. I don't know why I'm able to find that information now and couldn't find it six months ago, but it's there. I also, again, don't know why they put everything on season nine, maybe because at the time the season nine DVD set was the end of the show. Maybe, so maybe they were like, we'll just throw all the goodies on there. Yeah, don't know. But there you go. We all learned something today. So, yay. yay. Now we can find those secrets of the X-Files specials. And Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why I looked and looked and looked for it and I could not find any information about it. And then I was like, oh, I bet this was not available either. And then I found the thing saying it's on the DVD set. And I'm like, if they're calling it part two, I bet part one is on that set too. And then looked and yeah, it is. So. <laughs> That's okay, so funny. Whatever. Whatever, internet. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I was, I don't know what I was doing. But anyway, yeah, couldn't find it six months ago. Found it now. So. So in Wet Wired, Mulder is told about a case where a man murdered five people, believing them all to be the same man, a war criminal featured on the news. As Mulder and Scully investigate, they discover his rampage may have been inspired by taped news broadcasts. As more people commit inexplicable murders seemingly connected to the television, Mulder tries to determine the cause. Meanwhile, Scully becomes paranoid that Mulder is working against her. I mean, he is, isn't he? In that whole part of the show? (laughs) Am I I missing the point of this show altogether? No. I mean, they're pretty much working together at this point. Well, anyway, whoever's working against who, we are at Braddock's Height, Maryland, and it is April 27th. And it is 10, 16 p.m. We are in a grove of trees and we see a man, Joseph Patnick, who is digging a hole and he's throwing up dirt into a pile. Looks like he might be digging a grave. Anyway, he looks at a body near him 
and says, all right, you bastard, and drags him over to the hole. So he is digging a grave. It's a very shallow grave, though. Seems like there's more dirt piled up than the hole is deep, honestly. But anyway, as he buries the body, he tells him, your killing days are over. And then later, we see he's at a sink washing blood and dirt and grime from his arms and stuff. Because he's really, he got really dirty, apparently. Also, when he's burying the dude, he doesn't use the shovel. He's like filling in the dirt with his hands. I'm not sure why he would do that. You got a shovel. But anyway, so he hears something as he's washing all the stuff off him. And he turns around and the man he had just buried is standing behind him. So he's all, no, no. And then apparently he had the shovel right by the sink. And so he just swings the shovel. Boom. It's the guy. And then we see him putting the body in the car when the police cruiser woo, comes up and it's got lights flashing. Woo, 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 woo. And the first cop gets out and tells Patnick to put his hands in the air. And then Patnick does. And then the officer walks closer, but his face is in shadow. I wonder why. And then the other officer gets out too. And his face is also in shadow. And they're like, what are you doing here? And then he steps into the light and he has the same face as the man that he just buried. And then also just smack with a shovel. And the other <gasps> cop steps into the light. He has the same face, too. And he smirks. Oh, creepy. So Patnick runs at the first officer raw, and tackles him, knocks him to the ground. And the second officer pulls Patnick off and then tasers him. And he hits the ground. He's all, oh, looks almost like he's going to cardiac arrest, but probably just pain. And then the cop holds a gun on him. And as he lays there looking up at the cop, the cop's face kind of like glitches, like and then it eventually turns into another man's face. This one has a mustache. And then Patnick is kind of confused, obviously. And then the other cop, who is also now a different looking person, cuffs him. And then the mustache cop goes over to Patnick's trunk and he opens it. And he tells his partner to check this out. Because in the trunk is the body of a woman. What? And Patnick is like, Sarah? And then he's like, Sarah! And then it's a theme song. Weird. Yep. Weird. Yep. So then we're in Washington, D.C., and it's April 29th, and it's 2.12 a.m. And Mulder's parked in his car, and he's watching two men talk on a quiet street, but then someone approaches and gets in Mulder's car. And Mulder tells the man that he's been waiting nearly two hours. And the man says he was told to make sure that Mulder wasn't followed. And Mulder's like, yep, it's just us and the drug dealers. And the man hands Mulder a newspaper that's folded to an article that reads, Braddock Heights man kills wife, four others. And Mulder's like, what is this? And the man says, this is something he'll want to follow. And Mulder's like, follow where? And the man's like, this is all I've got for you. And Mulder's incredulous, saying he got an anonymous email to come meet him in the middle of the night. And he doesn't even know who this man is or what he wants. And the man's like, I don't have any obligation to give you answers. I'm not one of your sources. I mean, he's giving you paper and kind of is. Also, he knows Mulder has sources. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So anyway, Mulder's like, well, what? Are you just a messenger boy then? And the man's like, it's late. Go home and get some sleep. And Mulder's like, who told you to contact me? How do I know I'm not being played? And the man's like, I guess you don't. And he gets out of the car. So Mulder flings the paper at him and he's like, you can just recycle this then. And so the man kind of bends down into the window and he says, I've been asked to tell you, you walk away from this and more people will die. (gasps) (laughs) So Mulder's hanging out in dark streets, getting tips from strange people. I guess that's Mm -hmm. what he's doing now. 
the man in the car is credited as the plain clothes man, which uh, his clothes are plain. So sure. Okay. That's fine. He's played by Tim Henry, who played a federal marshal in Colony. He'll also be in one episode of Millennium. And additionally, he's appeared on 21 Jump Street, Psych, and Supernatural, among others. So then we were at Frederick County Psychiatric Hospital in Braddock Heights, Maryland. And Mulder is watching Patnick through a window, and Patnick is staring blankly at a television. And when we say staring blankly, we mean staring blankly. Scully rushes in and apologizes to, to Mulder, saying the Beltway was a parking lot, and then asks what's going on. And Mulder tells her the man in the room, Joseph Patnick, murdered five people, all of whom he insists was the same man. He killed him over and over, and he wouldn't die. And Scully asks if he has a history of mental illness. And Mulder says, not that he knows of, but he only caught this case yesterday. And Scully's like, what's the X-File? And Mulder tells her that in Patnick's neighborhood two weeks ago, a babysitter attacked the two children she was watching. She told the police she thought they were wolves. Scully asks if the police found any other motive for any of these attacks. And Mulder says, so far, no. And then a doctor approaches them looking for Mulder. And he introduces himself as Dr. Stroman. And after introductions, they learn that Stroman was called in from D.C. to try and develop a clear diagnosis for the court. But he hasn't managed to yet. Scully asks if Patnick has been sedated. And Stroman says that he has him on heavy Thorazine, but it only seems to knock him back a notch. They note he seems pretty manageable now. Stroman says he thinks Patnick may be suffering from a form of organic delusional syndrome, possibly due to chronic methamphetamine abuse, but he is prone to outbursts. Mulder asks who called Stroman down on this case, and Stroman says Dr. Kahn from Social Services, who Mulder asked to speak with, but then Stroman tells him that he's not in today. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly Patnick starts screaming in the room, and he gets up and he throws over a chair and goes into the corner and is cowering, and two orderlies rush in and grab him, and he's like, he's here, he's here. And then on the television, Scully turns and sees that he's watching the news, and it's showing a picture of a man with a name who I'm not going to try to pronounce, but is basically like a Serbian war criminal who ordered the slaughter of thousands of innocent civilians in Yugoslavia. So they're trying to do that thing where they're talking about the news without talking about real people. Anyway, that man is the man that we saw Patnik think that he was killing all the time. Mm -hmm. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Dr. Stroman is played by Colin Cunningham, who played Escalante in 731. And he was a lieutenant in Endgame as well. He's also had recurring roles in Stargate SG-1, Falling Skies, and Preacher, uh, which I've only seen a couple of episodes of Preacher. I really love the comics, though, so I'd really love to watch that show. I just, for some reason, watched a couple and then never got back to it. He's also appeared on The Outer Limits, Smallville, and, of course, Psych, among others. So Mulder and Scully park on the street, and they walk towards a house. And Scully's like, where did this case come from? And Mulder's like an outside source. And Scully's like, what does the outside source want us to uncover? And Mulder's like, I don't know. And Scully's like, aren't you worried we're being used? And Mulder's like, we have dead bodies and confess murderers. He's interested in finding the connection between them all. And then he lifts some police tape and he lets Scully in. And they go inside Patnick's house. And they hear a scream, but they quickly realize it's like a television scream, like the television's on. So inside the living room, they find these boys on the couch and the boys are like eating ice cream and watching Die Hard. And Mulder's like, isn't this a school day? And the boys jump up and they're like, we didn't cut. We have a pass. 
and Mulder's like a pass to come in here and eat these people's food and watch their TV. And they're like, oh, no, are we in trouble now? <laughs> I mean, you probably should be. You broke into someone's house. Yeah. That's- Mulder actually nods and like you are in trouble, but then. Yeah. And Scully's like, how did you get in? And they're like, the homeowners leave the window open for their cat. And they gesture to the window. And Mulder tells them to head back to school and they start to walk towards the window to leave, which I thought was really funny. And Mulder's like, use the door. So I don't know. I thought that scene was pretty hilarious. Yeah. So apparently they're not in trouble, though, because he just lets them go. Yeah, exactly. But apparently they're used to going in and out the window. (laughs) So this is probably not the first time they've done this. No, I'm guessing not. So Scully heads into another room and Mulder like stands watching the television for a moment. And then the screen fritzes, like it kind of glitches out and turns to static. So Mulder goes to the window and he notices there's this cable guy on the telephone pole, presumably turning off cable service, which is why it went fuzzy, I guess. Mm-hmm. And Scully calls to Mulder and she's standing in front of a cabinet that's full of VHS tapes, like the blank ones that you would buy. And they've all got labels and they're all hand labeled and they're dated and they're arranged in chronological order. And apparently they're all recordings of cable news. And Scully says that the news is what Patnick was watching at the hospital when he went all wiggy. And so she wonders if there's some connection and she starts grabbing some of the tapes. So then we are at the 2400 court motel, which does have vacancies, by the way, in case you're interested. Mm -hmm. And Mulder is sitting on a bed, eating sunflower seeds and watching one of the tapes on fast forward. And he hits stop. He gets up and he tosses the tape into a large pile on the floor. There's a gigantic pile of videotapes on the floor. Yeah. Apparently they took all of them. Apparently. And are just, and are not doing any kind of system. They're just like, I'm done watching it. And I throw it on the floor. Nope. They just handed half of them off and they just, yeah, exactly. So then he goes to Scully's room and says, he just watched 36 hours of nightly news and he's ready to kill someone too. And then Mulder lays down on the sofa in Scully's room and she has her tape stacked in front of the television and walks over and she taps three. They're actually sitting on top of the VCR. And she tells Mulder, these three tapes are from April 19th, 21st, and 23rd, each corresponding with a night that Patnick committed a murder. And Mulder asks what's on them. And Scully says, among other things, a one-hour special on the atrocities in Bosnia that prominently features that guy whose name I'm not going to try and say, which is a made-up name anyway. So I'm not It's Ladislav Mariskovic. That's great. <laughs> and then Mulder's like, that man set Patnick off? And Scully nods, and she guesses when she reviews the tape from the night he killed his wife, there'll be more about that guy whose name I cannot say on that tape as well. And Mulder asks if she thinks those reports inspired Patnick to kill. Scully says that studies have linked violence on television to violent behavior. And Mulder argues that those studies are pseudoscience and they're baloney. And Scully says that she thinks it's clear that the programs Patnick watched somehow triggered his violent behavior. And Mulder's like, how? And Scully says the doctor suggested amphetamine abuse. Maybe that coupled with the disturbing images he was watching pushed him over the edge. Mulder says all he knows is that television doesn't make a previously sane man go out and kill five people thinking they're all the same guy. And Scully's like, well, how do you explain it? And Mulder's like, I can't, not yet. And then he gets up and she's like, where are you going? And he says he's going to get some sleep and says that Scully should do that too. And Scully says she's going to watch the rest of the tapes just out of curiosity. And he tells her to have fun, and then he leaves. And then Scully sits in front of the television with the remote control. 
Yeah, doesn't seem fun. No, I honestly don't know the difference, but the doctor said methamphetamine and then... And Scully says amphetamine. So methamphetamines, I think, are a subset of amphetamines because there are different types. Obviously, meth is, <laughs> is one that we're all very familiar with, right? The drug meth. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are other types of amphetamines. So I think she's just saying okay. like the category and he was being specific. Okay, I'm not sure. And then thank you, Mulder, for calling bullshit on Scully, like reiterating like dubious studies. Yeah, Yeah, I believe all the studies that have linked like TV and video game violence to real world violence have mostly been debunked. So that is nonsense. That said, so given Mulder props on that, I'm not sure why Mulder wasted all that time watching all those tapes. And obviously Scully for that matter, too, because apparently she watched a whole bunch of tapes before she found those three. Like they obviously know the dates the dude killed people on. Why don't you start with like the tapes around those dates? And then Scully is aware of who he was looking at on television from the thing. Cause she is aware to put those two things together. So the tapes are all labeled with what they're about. Like, why did you watch all those tapes? You could have narrowed it down. But anyway, I don't know. So. Yeah. I don't know. I guess they just wanted to check all the tapes to see. I don't know. It does seem like a lot of work though. Instead of just the ones like the nights that he committed murders. And then Braddock Heights, Maryland is a real place. It's only one hour drive from Washington, D.C., so I'm not sure why they needed to get a motel room either. (laughs) Because they don't want to drive back and forth an hour in traffic. That actually makes sense to me. Having gone to like conferences or conventions like in like Seattle or south of Seattle where it's like an hour drive or whatever. And it's like, yeah, at the end of the day, you don't want to get back in your car and drive home. Okay. Yeah, I, I, that makes sense. I know. In the next episode, they they had no problem driving like eight hours. I know. Uh, this I know. one, one hour is like, no way. Woo. Well, maybe they got the FBI I to guess pay the for feds were paying for it, so who cares? Yeah, exactly. I would just think you'd want to be in your own bed. But, yeah. So later, Scully's still in front of the television watching the tapes in the dark. And she hears Mulder talking in the next room, and it sounds like he's on the phone. So she pauses the news and she like takes a swig of something in a glass and she chews on the ice that's in the glass. And then she goes outside to the ice machine to get more ice and then starts to buy a soda from the soda machine when she sees Mulder sitting in a car laughing and the cigarette smoking man is in the passenger seat beside him. <gasps> and they're like chatting and Mulder's smiling and Mulder hands the cigarette smoking man a VHS tape. But then a van pulls around the corner. So she like ducks back behind the soda machine so that she's not seen. And when she peers back around, the car Mulder was in backs up and leaves. And Scully stands there totally stunned. <gasps> it's a commercial. And Scully closed the door on the ice machine. Like, yeah. She like finishes getting her ice and then she's like, I'm going to get a soda and like just leave the door open on the ice machine. Close the door on the ice machine, Scully. <laughs> also, those things are so unhygienic. I like the ones that just squirt ice out at you because those I'm are also better. like, it's outside. Yeah. Like, well, I've seen that at motels, but I yeah. Guess. I mean, because they're, they're, they are like in the strip mall motel kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Weird. Yeah. Mulder's chumming with the cigarette smoking man. Apparently, well, man, I told you. See, I was right. They have been. <laughs> he's been working against her the whole time. We just, yeah, I knew it. I, I knew I was right. But, but shouldn't I thought your theory was that Scully was working with the cigarette smoking man? Well, Scully. Oh, see, now you're see. It's it's very complicated. Okay. Oh, and I so see. <laughs> Scully's got another whole agenda. So okay, uh, yeah. We can talk about that later. Yeah. So then it's April thirtieth, and it's nine forty-eight a.m. 
and a woman is standing at her sink washing dishes and she has a small television on her kitchen counter which i have seen in people's homes before but man to have enough counter space for a small tv <laughs> oh, i just i wish someday maybe but anyway so she's got the tv on she's washing dishes and she kind of looks over at it and smiling and it's playing a game she show is super happy when that game show starts she is oh she happy. loves it she's into oh my it gosh, yeah she's super happy <laughs> So she turns back to the sink and is listening to the game show. And then like, as she's looking at the sink and the soap, the soap water seems to like fritz out like an old TV with a bad connection. And she turns around, but her vision continues to like glitch and fritz. And then she goes to the window and she sees a man in a hammock. And there's this younger woman straddling him and kissing him. So she goes to a closet and she pulls out a shotgun. Whoa. Yeah, I know. And then we hear a shot fired. And then that's the end of the scene. Mm. So uh, whatever was going on, I don't I don't think that guy's okay. Or maybe that woman. Who knows? Yeah. Well, she only fired one shot. So. Yeah. Yeah. So then Mulder knocks on Scully's door and tells her he got a call. There's been another murder. And Scully looks super winged out freaked out (laughs) and like i'll be right there and then she goes out to the car and it's like oh gets in and then Mulder's not in the car yet and so she gets in and she pulls off the ashtray and then like sticks her fingers in it but it's all empty and she like checks and make sure there's no like ash in there and she's like and then Mulder gets in and then she's all like you know she's managed to like close the ashtray really fast before he got in the car and everything and he tells Scully that it sounds like the report is a housewife who went berserk. And Scully's like, car's been moved. Did you take it out last night? And Mulder's like, no. Oh, but I did go get a paper this morning. Why? And she's like, oh, nothing, nothing. And then that they should go to the crime scene. And so Mulder starts the car. So, mm-hmm. yeah, They're totally not non-suspicious at all, Scully, by the way. <laughs> Fortunately, Mulder's a bit of a dullard in this episode. Okay, he's not going to catch on. <laughs> Poor Mulder. <laughs> it does take him a little bit. I mean, he's been working with Scully for how long? Like, I mean, this isn't Syzygy. She doesn't have a reason to be weird. Like, he should at least notice that she's being kind of uptight and strange and at least yeah, be like, what's up like with crabby. you? She's just being weird. Yeah. yeah so. Just be like, what's what's up with you? Did you not sleep well? Do you need coffee? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All these tapes that we think might be affecting someone's psychosis maybe <laughs> affect you. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, that seems like a stretch, <laughs> but who knows? Especially since apparently you're the you're watching the ones that the dude watched right before he killed people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so at the crime scene, the first thing we see is blood on the ground, and then we pan up and we see blood dripping from a hammock, and then there's because the body's still in it. And then Scully looks at the body, and then Mulder comes over, having just spoken to the detective on the scene. He tells her that the shooter is Helen Riddick, age 42, and she's been taken to lockup. She claims to have looked out the window and seen her husband in the hammock with a blonde. And then he points to a golden retriever that's in the yard. And apparently the man was only taking a nap with his dog. But Haddock swears he was with a woman. And worse, the dead man isn't even her husband. Her husband is a long-haul trucker who's been out of town for 11 days. The deceased is her neighbor. She didn't even have the right yard. He's like, she lives in this house, and they go to cross the fence. 
And then Scully kind of stands there not moving. And Mulder's like, come on, let's go. Let's check it out. And she's finally like, yeah, yeah, let's check it out. So I was about to say, I was like, that's not even the same dude she saw. But then they they covered that. So Yeah, because, yeah, she didn't really see her husband with a woman. She saw her neighbor with his dog. Yeah, because the dude that she saw was, I guess, they had to get the, he's a trucker. So he has, like, the the big, like, drop-down mustache and, like, a mullet and everything. So, yeah. Yeah, and this dude is kind of old and balding. And yep, I'm just glad she didn't shoot the dog. Oh my god, right? Like, because the dog was on the dude's chest, and she shot the dude in the chest. Yeah, so well, the dog maybe jumped off or something first. Maybe, yeah. when, like, maybe the dog was picking up the vibes and was like, "Whoa, lady with a shotgun!" Yeah, oh, so yeah. crazy. Yeah, too bad the dog didn't bark and wake up its owner. I guess that probably wouldn't have made any difference, though. So. No, maybe he did. <laughs> he yeah, shot. he looked pretty peaceful laying there, like he was still sleeping when she shot him. But so inside Riddick's home, there's a television on, and it's playing the Home Shopping Network. And it's advertising this figurine called the Little Traveler. And also, if the television's on, that means you had the television in the living room on and the television in the kitchen on, kind of at the same mm-hmm. time. The woman really likes television. Yeah. We also see that that figurine that's being advertised is on her table. So clearly she buys stuff from home shopping networks. Her That room is filled with stuff. It is filled yeah. with it's filled with and knickknacks and, and, and an exercise bike, which probably also purchased from an infomercial. And Scully opens a trunk and it's full of VHS tapes and they're all hand labeled. And one is Jeopardy. Another just says unsolved, which might be unsolved mysteries. And Scully's like more tapes. And so she pops one in the VCR and Mulder heads into the kitchen and he sees a cable company van through the window. And it's the same guy from Patnick's house. Mulder like is like, okay, that's, a weird coincidence. So he runs outside and he calls to the cable guy, but the cable guy gets back into his van seemingly without hearing Mulder. Maybe he does, but either way, he doesn't like react at all. And he gets in the van and pulls away and Mulder chases the van, but the van eventually speeds up and goes too fast. He can't keep following. Yeah. And it was in the notes, but then when I started talking about all the knickknacks she had, we skipped over it. Mulder grabs that figurine off the table that we see and then he gets on the exercise bike and is sitting on it like kind of riding it <laughs> yeah it's pretty good yeah. now he is wearing gloves though everybody's wearing gloves so nice good job everybody's got gloves on so <laughs> yay gloves i'm very happy about the gloves so yeah. maybe don't be grabbing stuff and riding people's exercise equipment when they're dead i but mean you he know got gloves so i guess yeah <laughs> i've been watching like psych and stuff just randomly when i'm just like falling asleep and like they just i mean they're, they're in crime scenes just touching everything and i'm like <laughs> And they're not even really police and it's just like oh man guys don't don't be in there touching stuff but they yeah. do you know what you're gonna do yeah. so scully's fast forwarding to the tape and then she looks through the window and she sees Mulder is like climbing the cable pole and then up on the pole when Mulder gets up there he opens this little box and he finds four connectors there are three that are just like gray cylinders but there's one that's kind of gold colored and it's got a big bulbous thing in the middle and so Mulder takes the gold one out and then Scully and two officers like run up on the street and are like, Mulder, what are you doing? And Mulder climbs down. He's like, I found some kind of scrambler attached to Riddick's cable connector. And Scully suggests it's a job for Agent Pentrell. 
but he even has jobs now. He's like, this is a job for Agent Pendrel. <laughs> he's an agent now too, I guess. I did, I thought he was just like a lab dude, but he's an agent. No, he was. He's always been Agent Pendrel. So oh, that's is he? not okay. new. Yeah. Okay, I think we probably called him Agent Pendrel. I think maybe just like it's a job for Agent Pendrel makes it sound even. Fancy. Yeah, well, and it's nice because I'm sure he would be really happy to know that Scully <laughs> is thinking of him, right? Like he would be yeah. very excited about that. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, "Do you want it analyzed?" And Mulder's like, "I'll do it." And she kind of like, "Hmm." And Mulder tells her that it makes more sense for her to go interview Riddick and get her version of the story because maybe she knows what that thing is. And Scully just kind of stares at him. And the Mulder asks, "Like, is there a problem with that?" And she's like, "No, it's fine." And then he tells her to stay in touch. And he gets in the car and leaves because he actually was standing on top of the hood of his car to get up on the. I was wondering how he got up the pole because he he pulled his car alongside of it and got up on his car to uh-huh. reach the rungs because usually. You know, they're yeah, those are pretty high up. Them from the they don't, yeah, they don't want people just randomly climbing up them. Yeah, so he yeah climbed up on top of his car to get up there. So yeah, I'm glad they showed that because otherwise I'd be like, how did he get up there? So, <laughs> so then we're in the Lone Gunman's HQ. Yay! Ooh. And they sit around looking at the gold thing, and Buyer says it looks like a standard video trap for blocking premium cable channels. And Mulder's like, well, what does this one block? And Langley says, amazingly, it doesn't seem to block anything. And Mulder's like, so what does Free it cable. do? Yeah. And Mulder's like, so what does it do? And Frohicky's like, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> and they walk around to a pair of televisions and Mulder like turns to follow them. And Byers points to the first TV and he says it's a straight feed off their bars and tone generator. The second TV is the same thing, but filtered through the device. And Mulder looks at the screens and he's like, they're the same. And Langley's like, we couldn't discern any difference either until we checked the feeds through their oscilloscope. And they turn both of those on and Mulder says they still look the same. And Frohickey's like, hold on to your hat. And they change some things. And we see on the first screen, everything is stable. While on the second, a bar in the center kind of vibrates wildly. And Mulder's like, okay, they're different. And Byers explains on the second one, there's something non-standard in the vertical blinking interval. There's information that's being added to those spaces between the still pictures. Mulder's like, what kind of information? And Byers says they don't know. Langley says this is as far as they could get with this equipment. And Mulder asks if they can take the device apart. And Langley's like, well, not without destroying it. And that's by design. Byers notes that it's an amazingly sophisticated design, but all they can say for sure, and Mulder finishes, the device is emitting a signal. (gasps) Yeah. Uh, I have a question, though. Yeah. If the cable guy is appearing at the homes after the murders are committed, why, like, wouldn't he be removing those devices and not installing them? Yeah, so he wasn't installing it because obviously it was already installed. Yes, yeah, so what is he um, doing? I don't. I think he's turning off their cable service, but I don't know why he's not taking those devices with him because I feel like that's evidence he should be taking. So I'm not entirely yeah. sure. Hmm. I also wonder if they then we don't we don't see that we don't know. I wonder if they also then went to Patnick's residence and saw if he had one of those in his box later. Yeah, I don't know if they do. They should have. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, Mulder is driving and he starts to make a call and then his phone rings and it's Scully. And she's like, where are you? And he tells her he's on his way. He was just about to call her and that Scully may have been right, at least partially. 
He thinks there's a foreign signal being introduced into these people's homes through their TV sets. And Scully doesn't answer. And Mulder asks if she's there, and she says she is. And then he says he thinks they may be running some kind of test. And again, Scully doesn't respond, and he has to prompt her. And she asks if he had the thing analyzed, and he says he did. And then she's like, well, I just talked to Agent Pendrel, and he said you never showed up. And so Scully asks where he was, and Mulder says he'd rather not talk about it over the phone. And then there's a click on the line, and Scully's like, what was that? And like Mulder didn't hear it. It's just we hear it on Scully's end. But then there's another click, and she's like, there, that noise. And he's like, is there something wrong? And then there's another click, and she's like, who's listening? And Mulder tells her he's going to be right there. But then there's another click, and she hangs up. And Mulder tries to call back, but she doesn't answer. Weird. Yeah. So in the motel room, we see Scully pull the phone cord out of the wall. And then she opens the handset to see if there's a bug in it. And then she starts checking for bugs in other places, like the base of a lamp, in light sockets. She checks all the fixtures and the television, basically destroys her room in the process looking for this bug. And then she looks around the trash room and her vision fritzes like the people who committed the murders. A car pulls up and the headlights shine through the window. So she ducks and she goes to the door of her room and she locks the chain lock. And then there's a knock on her door. So she jumps backwards because it like startles her and she's right there. And she looks around and she finds her gun and the door opens, but it's stopped by the chain. And so she fires bullets at the top of the door and then Mulder kicks the door in and he tells the motel employee who's behind him to go call the police. And so that guy runs off and Mulder calls for Scully and he kicks in the back door and he goes outside, but she's gone and the parking lot is empty. Whoa. Weird. I've, I've never been in a motel that has a back door. Yeah, that's pretty weird. Yeah. It's lucky for her because otherwise she wouldn't have anywhere to go. But... Yeah, she'd have to like shimmy through the bathroom window or something. So, yeah. 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 But then it's a commercial. So we've had two commercials when I don't think there's been any deaths in commercials, I think. Yeah. So kind of an oddity. Anyway, it's May 1st and it's 6 04 a.m. And Margaret Scully is in her bed and she wakes up and her phone's ringing. And at first, like we see like some photos on the bedside. There's a photo of Melissa and there's a photo of Scully. And then there's a photo of like a de-aged Margaret Scully with a little baby. We don't sure which is supposed to be Melissa or Dana's, but anyway. Anyway, the phone was ringing. So she answers it and it's Mulder. And he was hoping that she'd heard from Scully. And Margaret's like, has something happened? And he tells her there's some confusion, but Scully is missing. So Margaret kind of starts to sit up a little bit and she's like, what do you mean? And he says that Scully ran off last night and they're looking for her, but they're a little concerned. And then someone pulls up. And so Mulder's like, I hate to do this to you, but I'm going to have to hang up on you. And she's like, Fox, just tell me what's going on. He's like, I'll call you as soon as I know something and hangs up on her. Poor woman. I know. I know. I know. Oh my God. Her husband died. Her daughter was kidnapped and missing and presumed dead for months. Finally came back. Her other daughter was murdered. And now Scully's missing again. Like, can you even imagine? Like, holy crap. She's like, just tell me what's going on. Just be straight with me. He's like, gotta go. (laughs) Call you back. Bye. Boom. Oh my gosh. I know. Just wanted to make sure you were worried. Later. (laughs) (laughs) Poor woman. Poor Margaret. So it turns out the person who drove up was Skinner. Yes. And he has arrived. And Mulder's like, this manhunt is being conducted as if we're looking for an escaped convict. 
and Skinner tells him that he shares his concern for Scully, but she shot four rounds at Mulder and an unarmed civilian last night. And Mulder appreciates that, but says officers should be instructed not to confront her once they find her. And Skinner's like, well, what should they do? And Mulder says they should keep an eye on her until he can get there. And he thinks that he can get her to listen. And Skinner's like, she didn't listen to you last night. And Mulder says he thinks she's suffering from some kind of paranoid psychosis. Skinner's like, brought on by what? And Mulder's like, can't explain that mechanism, but it has something to do with certain videotapes that they've been watching that were recovered from a crime scene. The tapes contain an electronic signal that somehow induces violent behavior. Skinner asks if he has any proof of this, and Mulder's like, I'm working on it. And then Skinner says, whatever the case, Scully is armed and obviously dangerous. So he recommends Mulder use whatever resources he has to make sure he finds her first. Mm. Yeah. Woof. <laughs> oh, lots going on. Anyway, yeah. then we see Mulder using the only resource that he has. <laughs> he's in he's in his apartment and he's putting masking an X, tape. Yeah. He's putting an X on his window and masking tape. And then he just like puts the X on, he picks up a basketball and he just starts dribbling it on the floor. So like I hope his downstairs neighbor is not trying to record a podcast because that would yeah, be or 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 just disturbing. not be disturbed because Molder, really? Come on. I hope they have really thick floors. But anyway, floor is going to stop that. But (laughs) yeah, and his phone rings, and it's Frohickey. And Frohickey tells him they pulled something off the videotape he found in Scully's room. And Molder's like, "What is it?" And Frohickey says something interesting, but they don't want to talk about it over the phone because obviously the lone gunman definitely don't trust phones. No. So uh, they hang up, and Molder looks at the X in his window, and then he gets his coat and he leaves. And I thought it was cool because like on a Mulder's window, you can see the impressions from the tape from previous exes. So I thought that was kind of a good detail. So good job, set designers. Yeah. Although he put the tape up like 10 seconds ago and like we don't need all this like, oh, dilemma. Like take the tape off and go do your thing and then come back and put the tape on. You don't need to, yeah. fight, you know, whatever. We don't need all the drama. I mean, I guess we do because it's television. But Yeah. So then we are back in the lone gunman's bunker HQ. I, I prefer bunker personally, because that's just what I imagine. But yeah, so we're back at the lone gunman's place and Byers and Langley stand around Fro Hickey, who's at a computer and they show Mulder the tape they were reviewing last night. And he says they scan samples of it onto a disc. And Langley's like, we digitized it. <laughs> this is back when digitizing TV <laughs> was not something that everyone just did or had. So oh, that's yeah. science. It's edgy yes so buyer says that using freeware they pulled off the net they were able to blank out the visible frames and then Mulder's like what am i looking at and he's kind of looking like a screensaver honestly is what he's kind of looking at so on the screen the image is like from the home shopping network and then it fades into like this bunch of like colors just like kind of like sort of like almost like maybe like a hyperdrive like effect maybe they're kind of like coming out at you a bit action but anyway yeah and again, it looks like a screensaver. And Langley says that this is the actual signal the cable trap was emitting. Byer says, of course, they slowed it down significantly. It's designed to cycle at 15 flashes per second to induce what's known as a photic driving response. Langley says the device is simulating electrical activity in the brain. And then Byers explains that the studies into subliminal influence have shown the links between heightened suggestibility and manipulation of this response. And Mulder's like, mind control? And Langley says, 57 channels of it. 
And then Byers is like, yep, just like they used to sell popcorn at the movies. Both Russian and American scientists have been working on it for decades. And then Frohickey's like, not to mention Madison Avenue. And Mulder's like, the naked lady in the ice cube. And Frohickey's like, that's my personal favorite. <laughs> so Mulder and Frohickey like to vibe on. Yeah, they agree on a lot of those things for sure. Yeah. And then Mulder's like, well, why wasn't I affected? And then they all turn to him. And Frohickey says, that's the one thing they haven't figured out yet. And then Mulder asks if color could be a factor in the signal. And Byers is like, maybe. And then Mulder says, well, I'm red, green, colorblind. <laughs> and then so while they discuss whether Mulder's inability to see the color red has maybe rendered him immune. Also, I don't think he watched the tapes that had this on it. But anyway, yeah, Mulder's phone rings. And he says he'll be there right away and hangs up. And they ask, like, what happened? And he tells them that Maryland State Police think they found Scully. And Frohickey's like, is she okay? And Mulder's like, no. They think I should come down and ID the body. <gasps> oh, no. Yep. Uh-oh. I'm like, oh, Mulder's like, I'm red, green, colorblind. I'm like, dude, if you were red, green, colorblind, you would not be able to drive. You would not be able to be a federal agent. Or so I thought. Apparently, every state allows you to drive if you're red, green, colorblind, because I guess the logic is that you know what light is supposed to be lit because you know the order of them. And so it's fine. Right. You, you know, like top, lit, bottom. Yeah. Yeah. And then also no law enforcement agencies actually check for colorblindness when they're doing hiring, apparently, which seems kind of not because like you could be like, oh, the suspect is wearing a, you know, color and you got to. I don't know. But anyway, but apparently there's also degrees to red, green, color blindness. It's like there is. Well, and red, green, color blindness is actually the most common one, apparently. I thought it was like the one that was rare because it was more dramatic as opposed to like the blue, green one. But it does have degrees. And apparently there are like colored lenses you can wear that help magnify the differences between the colors. Okay. But it still seems weird that like if you can't tell just between red and green that you can do things like have a gun but anyway well um, i mean <laughs> as long as you're gun safety trained i don't think color is going to affect that well i that could be very loaded i mean like colors like red and green are going to affect like what you're shooting i obviously yeah. don't mean other things which definitely might affect it but yeah 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 so if you're going to commit crimes maybe don't wear red or green because the cop might mistake those colors for the other color and then would get shot i don't know <laughs> anyway there's also a directional slip up here because frederick county which does contain braddock heights is north northwest of washington dc so Mulder should have said or would have said i need to head up not come down to view the body because you know, oh. north see i think you're just taking that in the wrong way because i think like you should come down to the morgue to identify the body Oh, uh, maybe I don't think I don't he know. needs the it, literal but direction. But he's not going just to the morgue; he's going to a location, right? But I think come know. down is like a you know come down to the morgue to identify. Yeah. I think that's well, also there in Vancouver, phrase. which would be north of that, so he would be thinking going to come down to it. So, <laughs> but yeah, I don't yeah. know. Anyway. I have noticed. I have I have actually noticed that it becomes in speech with people that we kind of instinctively do that. Like we will automatically like say the right way. It's kind of weird, and even when like if you. I don't know, just maybe it's just people I hang out with. But I noticed that if you change locations, you're also able seemingly to change your language when you're talking about locations. It's kind of interesting. I've kind of yeah. a little little side thing I've noticed. So again, because I'm not just freaky about television, I'm freaky about 
personal relationships too and conversation so i'm really fun to be around people just trust me so, yeah. so then we're at frederick county morgue and it's 6 21 p.m and Mulder pulls into a spot in the parking garage and then he spends a moment hanging his head obviously this is very stressful he's working himself up for maybe something really horrible and he finally gets out of the car and he heads towards the door to go in and a car pulls in front of him and it's being driven by his contact from the beginning of the episode the plainclothes man and he tells Mulder to get in and Mulder's like I can't right now and the man's like they're watching you and he's like get in before you get us both killed and Mulder's like that's an interesting choice of words because his partner may be dead because of him and Mulder's like, who do you work for? And the man says he's wasting his time. Well, Mulder is chasing his partner. They're destroying the evidence. And Mulder's like, who? And the man's like, follow the evidence. Because if you don't, then by tomorrow, the responsible parties will be out of reach. And Mulder kind of kicks the car and the man peels away. And so then Mulder heads inside. And inside, a pathologist tells Mulder that a highway patrolman found the body at approximately 2 a.m., nude shot in the forehead and Mulder closes his eyes and the pathologist is like are you ready and you know I mean probably not but they're standing next to some blinds and so he's like kind of getting ready to open the blinds but Mulder wants to do it himself so he trades places with the pathologist and he like slowly opens the blinds and he looks in and he sees a body and after a second he says that's not her and then he's like, someone has to call Scully's mother. And the pathologist says they tried, but they haven't been able to reach her. And Mulder looks pretty worried to hear that she's not answering her phone. Because obviously, if she thinks Scully's missing, she should be camped at that phone answering constantly. So that's a little weird. Yeah. And for clarity, the body is in a separate room. They're standing outside the room. Yeah. Well, they're looking through the blinds the at the it. Yeah. And then we do see the body, but it's all blurred out. So it's like we can't tell. Like we see Mulder's point of view when he opens the blinds, but they blur it all out. So we can't tell. Who it is and then Mulder says like it's not her so. yeah it's just a naked woman with red hair we don't really even see yeah. a face so yeah well I think they had the like she pulled up over her nakedness but yeah so can't be doing that on television so. <laughs> I think even in real life I think if you were identifying yeah I'm sure like you might know this person you might not um I can just show you naked dead bodies so mm-hmm. sorry anyway Mulder arrives at Margaret's home and he knocks on the front door and there's no answer. So he knocks again. And then finally she opens the door and Mulder asks if Scully is there. And she's like, no, she kind of like has the door cracked a little bit and kind of looks like, no, I'm talking to you because there's someone with a gun in my house. So Mm -hmm. that kind of thing, you kind of get that vibe when she's talking to Mulder and he's like, well, you haven't been answering your phone. And she says that when she hears from Scully, she'll call. And then she tries to shut the door. And Mulder stops her and he pushes past her into the house while she pleads with him to go away. And he looks around and is like, where is she? And then Scully comes out from around the corner with her gun aimed at Mulder. And Margaret's standing next to Mulder. And she's like, Dana, put the gun down. And Mulder's like, I'm here to help you. But Scully says, I told you, Mom, he's here to kill me. (gasps) And Mulder's like, I'm on your side. You know that. And he tells her she doesn't know it, but she's sick. And it's the same thing that drove those other people to murder and whatever she thinks may be happening. And then she's like, cocks the gun. It's like, step back. So then Margaret's like, Scully, 
you're not yourself. Mulder is telling you the truth. But Scully says it's not the truth. Mulder has lied to her from the beginning. He never trusted her. And Scully says that Mulder is one of them, one of the people who abducted her and killed her sister. And Margaret tells her that's not true and then steps between them. And Scully's like, get out of the way, Mom. And she's like, you trust me, don't you? And that Scully knows that she would never let anyone hurt her. And that's why she came here, isn't it? She knew she could be safe here. And then she's like, please put the gun down. And then she stops aiming it at her mom because basically her mom was in the middle. So she's like, you know, pulled away mm-hmm. from her mom. And then Margaret approaches and pulls her into a hug. And then they sink to the floor and Scully's in tears. <laughs> and then it's a commercial. Aww. So much for this show because she's obviously going to be like removed from duty and you know, <laughs> probably permanently in this case. I mean, so much has happened like in the last three seasons with her. Like, dude, yeah, you, I'm sorry. You can be a scientist, but you can't be in the field with a gun because too much crazy has happened. <laughs> well, luckily, Nick is not in charge of the FBI or those decisions. Or unluckily, maybe. <laughs> so then we're at the Northeast Georgetown Medical Center. And it's May 2nd, and it's 1.43 p.m. And Mulder enters Scully's hospital room, and we see Margaret is standing at her bedside. And Mulder kind of puts his hands up and makes a face kind of jokey like haha don't shoot me and because so, you have in the past <laughs> she, so and you tried to only, again not only so. has she shot him she shot at him the other night like four rounds so yeah i know yeah <laughs> but yes but in the past you have actually really shot me so yeah mm-hmm. I mean, you could have shot cry check but no you chose to shot me it's okay <laughs> it's all right it's fine he I was acting it. more erratically than scully is in this episode although Mulder did not shoot her this time no, Mulder shot no one or the only person Mulder actually had tried to shoot was Crycheck. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway. Anyhow, so Scully and Margaret smile at him. He smiles back and then he turns off the television and Margaret leaves. And so Mulder sits in a chair by the bed and he asks Scully how she's feeling. And she says she feels ashamed. She was so sure. She's like, I was so sure, Mulder. I saw things and I heard things and it was just like the world was turned upside down. Everyone was out to get me. And Mulder's like, now you know how I feel most of the time. And she says she thought he was going to kill her. And Mulder isn't surprised, but Scully is surprised by his reaction. And Mulder did some checking. Patnik thought he was killing a Bosnian war criminal, a man the media described as a modern day Hitler. It turns out that both Patnik's parents were Holocaust survivors. Riddick was scared her husband was going to cheat on her. And then obviously she shot what she believed was her husband cheating on her. So what if this video signal somehow turns these people's anxieties into some kind of dementia, like a virtual reality of their own worst nightmares? <gasps> and Scully says, like me thinking you were going to betray me. She was so far gone. She tells him about how she saw him sitting in the car with that cancer man who smokes all those cigarettes. And Mulder was reporting to him and handed him a videotape. It was crazy. And Mulder's like, well, maybe not. Someone is behind this. We just don't know who. And Scully's like, you think it could be the cigarette smoking man? And Mulder doesn't know. But he tells her to go ahead and try and get some rest because he's going to go see if he can figure it out. But Scully needs to stay in the hospital and make sure all that stuff is out of her system. (laughs) Yeah, because he's trying to shoot people. In the (laughs) hall, he sees Dr. Lorenz. I guess it's Scully's doctor. And he asks what treatment she's outlined for Scully. And Loren says at this point, nothing more than bed rest. 
They still haven't determined what brought this on. And as far as she can tell, there's nothing medically wrong with her. Her MRI didn't show anything, but when they did a spinal tap, <laughs> she did have high levels of serotonin in her brain. And Mulder asks if that might account for the strange behavior. And Loren says high serotonin has been associated with mania, but the good news is that her levels are back to normal. And then she starts to leave, and Mulder calls after her, asking if she would have made a diagnosis of amphetamine abuse for someone in Scully's condition. And Lorenz is like, no, not with those high serotonin levels. That wouldn't make sense. And he thanks her. Hmm. Mm. Mm, suspicious. And just a note that Dr. Lorenz is played by Crystal Verge. And she also played the woman who read Odin's words as he typed them on the screen in Red Museum. So if she looks familiar, she was the one reading Odin's computer words. Yeah, and had like supervision because she needed to she be able can, to see what he was saying. Yeah. When he was typing, yeah. So then Mulder calls the Frederick County Psychiatric Hospital and asks for Dr. Stroman. And the nurse says that Stroman has returned to Washington. And so Mulder asks if she knows where he can be reached. And the nurse says he left the local number. And she's like, it's around here somewhere. She starts to look for it. And then Mulder pulls out a matchbook from the motel. And he's like, was it 555-0155, I think is what it was. I don't remember off the top of my head. But anyway, it's the number from the motel. And they're like, yep, that's the number. And Mulder's like, thank you, and hangs up. So Yeah, so he's not getting a hold of him, basically. <laughs> no, not really. No. And so back at the motel, the motel employee unlocks the door for Mulder. And then Mulder's like, do you want me to go first this time? And the dude's like, damn straight, and like, steps <laughs> away. And so like Mulder draws his gun and opens the door. And the room is messy but empty. And the motel guy is like, I didn't have time to clean the room. He just checked out. And so Mulder looks around. And then asks if the guy was charged for any local calls while he was there and if there's a record of the numbers. And the guy is like, yeah, I'll go get it for you. So Mulder's looking around and he finds a Morley cigarette in the ashtray. <gasps> I know. And then the employee returns with the call list and Mulder thanks him. And then he calls Danny. He's like, Danny, I need to see if you can check a number for me. <laughs> so Danny is my favorite character in the X-Files. <laughs> We never, ever see him, but he does so much work behind the scenes. Do we never? I don't know. I, I don't I don't know. I'm him. assuming yeah. we never see him because we never have. He's been around since season yeah. one and he's just always the guy Mulder calls. But yeah, he's great. So then it's 517 p.m. and Mulder pulls up to a house in parks and he walks up towards the door and there's a car parked in front. And so he touches the engine to see if it's warm. And then he reaches the porch and a cable van pulls up and comes down the driveway and Mulder's like, oh, crap. So he like ducks into a bush and the driver gets out and it's the same cable guy who was at the crime scenes. Very suspicious. Mm -hmm. And the cable guy goes inside. So Mulder creeps over to a window and inside he sees the cable guy talking to Stroman because Stroman is there. And Stroman's like, where is he? He said he'd be here by now. And the cable guy's like, he'll be here. And Stroman checks his watch and he's like, it's almost seven o'clock. And then he goes to look out the window. So Mulder like ducks down. So he's not seen. And then he creeps around the back of the house. Yeah. Just a note. Like, we got a timestamp when Mulder arrived that it was five o'clock. And now like Stroman is saying it's almost seven. There's no way it's been two hours. That seems wrong. But anyway. Yeah. I will say this house seems like 
one of the antagonists from a Kolchak episode live in this house because it's all run down. <laughs> like, uh-huh. looking and just kind of like, yeah, dusty, I know you have, dirty. You have a thing about why do they always rent these run down houses and why can't they like do some housekeeping? So, that was the first thing I thought of when I saw this. So it's like, oh, Tori's gonna <laughs> enjoy Yeah, it is very. Similar, <laughs> I mean, this is just like, it seems like a random meeting place. So, I don't think anyone's actually staying there, but I'm, who knows? yeah, but like the, but like there's overgrowth around it. Like, you know, the bushes are all untrimmed and there's like, vines like that and you can tell it's kind of run down like it's kind of empty and just kind of like it's been empty for a while kind of thing mm-hmm. so it just kind of had that vibe of like there's probably a vampire lives in that house anyway so <laughs> that would have been a better episode let's face it <laughs> a vampire popped up yeah or jack the ripper come back to kill people in washington <laughs> yeah so yeah anyway so Mulder is like you know as we said, Mulder like ran around to the back door. And so as soon as he reaches the back door, we hear two shots. And so Mulder draws his gun, he busts through the back door. And inside he finds Strowman and the cable guy shot in the head, laying down dead. And he bends down to take the pulse of each of them. And he's still got his gun out. And then we hear a familiar voice that says, you're too late, Agent Mulder. X steps (gasps) out of a doorway. And so Mulder lowers his gun. Mm-hmm. I, I, that judgment was a little iffy but anyway and he says now that you've destroyed all the evidence and x says he was told this would happen Mulder made his choice and Mulder's like i didn't know i was working for you and x tells him that he had no alternative he's being watched too closely and he couldn't risk compromising himself <gasps> so Mulder asks why kill them if you wanted me to find them and x says that those were his orders he just hoped that Mulder would get to them first and Mulder's like, what was I meant to uncover? What were they trying to do? Manipulate people's behavior? Alter their decision-making? What to buy? Who to vote for? And X is like, you think they'll stop at commerce and politics? He bends down and puts his gun in the cable guy's hand. He's got gloves on. smart. And Mulder's like, where will they stop? And X says, where you failed. Ooh. So Mulder tells him not to lay this off on him. And calls him a sneaky son of a bitch. He says X pulled him into this situation because he didn't have the courage to reveal the truth himself. X is a coward who works in the shadows and just feeds Mulder scraps of information so he can try to piece it together. He makes him risk his life and his partner's life. And X never risks his own. And then X just stares at him and then heads for the door. And Mulder's like, you're not walking away this time. And cocks his gun, aims it at X's back. And X is like, you're risking your life right now. Truth is, you need me, Agent Mulder. And then X just is like, boom, and walks out and closes the door. <laughs> and then Mulder lowers his gun. He's like, oh, you're right. X is like, Dang uh-uh, it. you are not pointing your gun at me, son. Uh-uh. Yeah. I also like, like that thing away. where like, you make me risk my life and my partner's life and you never risk your own. And X just looks at him like, yeah, you figured it out. That's the whole point of this. I'm not risking my life. Although X <laughs> did kind of risk his life to carry him away from an exploding train. Although yeah, Mulder does not yeah. know that. No, he doesn't. But yeah, but, but I, but that, yeah. That, that look he gives him is like, yeah, dumbass. What You figured it out. Good job. Oh, <laughs> uh, Mulder checking the pulse on the dudes was kind of like, what? I mean, because they got like, bolt holes in their heads and like there's blood everywhere but like i mean i guess you, ne- you never know right so yeah they are both laying down and like hey can you lay down please and they're like just laying there their arms are straight <laughs> their legs are straight they're like we're dead so it's kind of funny like at least try to look like you fell down when you got shot in the head I don't know. <laughs> but yeah eh. yeah oh wow <laughs> 
So then we're at FBI headquarters and it's May 10th, which is the date this is airing. Whoa. Whoa. And almost like two weeks since it started. It started April 27th. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And we're in Skinner's office and Skinner looks over a report and he asks Mulder if this is his final report. And Mulder says yes. And Skinner says that he sees more questions than answers. And Mulder says that he doesn't know who manufactured the device he found, nor what its purpose was. And then Scully knocks and enters. And Skinner's like, oh, I'm glad you're back. And she apologizes for being late. She just got back from the document section. And Skinner asks what she found on the two men that Mulder found executed. And she basically says the cable guy was unremarkable with no criminal record. They did find a medical license for a Dr. Stroman in Falls Church, Virginia, but he died in 1978. And Skinner's like, what about the killer? And Mulder says he remains an unknown subject, which is not completely a lie because he is sort of unknown to Mulder in some ways. X stands for unknown. And then we see X and he's walking down an alley in the dark and there's a car parked there and he looks around before getting in the passenger seat. And we see the cigarette smoking man is in the driver's seat. And he asks if X has completed his work. And X tells him that all the hardware and personnel have been removed, but Mulder still has one of the devices. And the cigarette smoking man is like, that proves nothing. And he asks about Mulder's source and X is like, he's been eliminated. And that man's source Who's he working with? And X is like, that person remains unknown. Mm-hmm. And they stare at each other. And the cigarette smoking man takes another drag on his cigarette. Uh... Oh. This also so. takes place a month and a half after Avatar. Because we had a date stamp in that. And I saw it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Good call. Good it was call March out. 7th, I believe. So, oh, I guess by the time this ends, we're actually able to get two-month mark. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, because we didn't get any dates on Quagmire, but we right. did get a nice solid one on Avatar. Yeah. So is this some kind of double cross? Is X working for slash against the cigarette smoking man, or is he just a cog in the machine? Both. Yeah, probably. All of the above. Yeah. So Matt Beck wrote the script for this episode and he was the visual effects supervisor on the X-Files. And this is actually his one and only television script ever written, at least according to IMDb. So at least the only one that really got produced. But he does have a solid visual effects career. He worked on shows such as Millennium, The Lone Gunman, and the first season of Supernatural. He also worked on Game of Thrones, Breaking Bad, and The Vampire Diaries, among others. Yeah, I have to say, as a cynical person, Surprise, surprise. I would assume that a script written by the visual effects supervisor would just be like chock full of visual effects, right? It'd be like the visual, like, what do we, what can we do? Let's do all of that, right? But there is a visual effect that does play a role in the episode to lesser and greater success, scene by scene. They actually do really good. The only one that I think didn't work well was when Mrs. Riddick is looking down at her sink and the soap glitches out. Because since that was so centralized, they had to blur the edges so the rest of the sink didn't glitch out. And that looked kind of like, oh, yeah, they kind of messed that one up. But the rest looked really good, honestly. Okay. But I was very surprised. They actually, it was like super toned down mm-hmm. from what the expectation was. You're like, oh, yeah, the visual effects writer wrote this. You know what? This is going to be full of 
visual effects. No, no, I mean, he didn't want to do that much work. This was, yeah, <laughs> this was I mean, him honestly, pulling it to cuffing. Yeah. He's and like, we're like, going to write a like, script right on it. And we're just using hard. like one effect <laughs> that is probably like press the button on the computer. Click. So, yeah, I mean, or at least nowadays would be. So, yeah. Yeah, I was kind of like, whoa, wow. I was, I was expecting it was going to be just like morphing and just all kinds of stuff. But no, very, very toned down. Maybe on purpose. Maybe they, maybe he did that on purpose. He was like, you know what people are going to think? They're going to think I can only write a script that has a lot of visual effects. Well, I'll show them. So nope. yeah, or like Duchovny, he was just hoping for a week off where he's like, yeah. I don't have to do much this week. Maybe. So. I mean, what was not toned down was the music, especially all the music where Scully is like being paranoid and stuff. And like mm-hmm. we get it, okay. And like with Mulder too, when Mulder's like going to go see the body, the music is just like over the top. We get it, okay. Like the I would say overacting in some scenes is like not a clue. Like we get it. Just calm down on the music. So it's a little, a little over the top. It happens next episode too. So I'm not sure. Yeah. They're just, they're just getting fun with the music. They're just having I fun guess, with it. Yeah. I haven't really noticed it before, but this episode, next episode, I'm like, Whoa, <laughs> down the music. You need to calm down. So, yeah. And then Stephen Williams says that his scene with William B. Davis at the end of this episode was one of his favorites, in part because you just have no idea where X and Cigarette Smoking Man stand with each other. So it's kind of fun to play off. Yeah. To that point, this technically is not a Myth Arc episode. It is a Monster of the Week episode. And yet... Yeah. I mean... The line is getting super blurry. We recently had a couple other ones where we've been like, I think this is going to... We're going to call this a Myth Arc one, even though technically it's not. I think this is another one of those where like, mm, you could, yeah. Yeah, you could make a solid argument that it is Mythark because features the cigarette smoking man. Obviously, mm-hmm. this test that they were running with the cable boxes was part of the conspiracy mm-hmm. uh, or what, whatever conspiracy things they're doing. And it's got X. Yeah, I don't mm-hmm. know. And the cigarette smoking man. So, yeah, but it's not. I mean, it is a big lead into the next episode. It of. is for so. sure, which is Mythark. And yeah. this one isn't alien related or clone related or anything but it is yeah the conspiracy. i wonder if i mean i'm assuming not so i'm thinking all this stuff was probably just added into matt beck script like i doubt he you know this was i on. mean he knows what's going on i'm sure yeah but i mean i don't know so i mean we know they you know they're kind of starting to do the writer room business here yeah, well, and I assume back, that so. they get some direction too, where like you can't do that, you can do that, like you know, whatever. Yeah. So. Yeah. You can make Mulder colorblind if you want. We gave him a fear of fire, and we haven't had to deal with it since, yeah. so that'll be fine. So if you attack him <laughs> with green fire, he's gonna be like, ah! red fire. Ah! He won't care. It'll be. I don't know what color you see. In my head, I'm like, you see gray, but I don't. I don't think that's the case. No, gonna, I don't think so. Either. I don't know. I don't know what you see. So they they probably don't know what they see either. They just they can't tell the difference apparently. Mm. So or at least certain shades of it are right. distinguished depending on how bad your color blindness is. So but yeah, hmm. it does seem like the episode itself is kind of a big lead up to just these last four minutes of the show though like almost like the story could have been almost anything that was something like "Ooh, weird and then it would be the end of this kill some people yeah. who are doing it and then we have so i do like the story though i think it's really interesting and i like that these people like i thought like the cold open is really good because you're like whoa he just killed that guy and that guy's in his kitchen what's happening but i also like the thing with the woman in the kitchen and how she shoots the guy and thinks it's her husband but it's like some neighbor 
like with his dog and we hear about the babysitter who thought the kids were wolves. So I think that's a really fascinating concept. And I love the idea of like subliminal messaging in your TV. I think that's creepy. Gotta wonder what that babysitter's anxieties were where she thought the kids were wolves. Yeah. I get it to you can kind of explain as like, you know, just like, you know, human fears about the world, but like the babies were wolves. Okay. I don't know. So yeah. yeah. Freaky. Freaky. It's very it's got a lot of similarities to blood. Yeah, it is really similar. And that was another one where like, is this a conspiracy happening in a small town as some kind of test? Or mm-hmm. is it just the side effect of this? substance stuff that's being sprayed around well we never even know if that was really the case or not honestly right yeah because then at the end remember Mulder's phone at the end yeah i remember yeah. so we never really know right yeah so this well you said of... you liked this one you thought it was a good story so what did you rate it yeah so i'm debating because i i do really like it i think it does have some issues like clearly that cable guy's job was to gather the evidence before he went to meet x so i'm not sure why he left that one Maybe he did see Mulder and got scared off and like ran off too fast. And that's why Mulder was able to get that one. Cause maybe that's what he was doing was pulling those. I'm not entirely sure. It's a little weird, but I mean, it's got the lone gunman. It's got the cigarette smoking man. Those are always great. I really do like the story. I think it's really fascinating. And I thought like, I would have loved to see more cases of people with these bizarre murders. So I thought that was really fascinating. Like what they saw versus what was actually there. I don't know. I thought that was, I mean, it was creepy, but it was just fascinating. I think I'm debating between a seven and an eight, to be honest, because Whoa. I really do think it's good. Hmm. I think I'm going to give it an eight. I thought it was really wow. good. I enjoyed it. I like the whole time I was watching it, I was like, this is so fun. This is a fun episode of the X-Files. So, yeah, I thought it was good. And I like that it's Scully's turn to kind of freak out because Mulder's freaked out a couple of times. I mean, Scully has had incidences but it was good that she was the one who was kind of paranoid this time so i thought that was fascinating too okay definitely overdid it but that's okay i mean she was being mind controlled by television so (laughs) who hasn't right right yeah i am going to go with let me actually let me let me check something here i did mention blood let me see what i did with blood let me just double check here i have an idea of what i did with blood Oh, okay. Hmm. All right. Hmm. <laughs> That's not what I thought I gave blood. Okay. Well, I'm still going to go with what I gave this. I might need to maybe rethink my blood rating then. <laughs> I'm going to give this a five. Okay. Which is actually not a number that I almost have ever, I haven't given it this season. And I'm not sure I've given it in, I'm sure I probably have given it once or twice, but five is a number that I technically have not really used. I, tend to use four as my median i want to go back and check with blood because i was gonna say i think blood handled this kind of possibility better but yet i gave blood a four huh but yet we've 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 talked several times about how like blood had a lot of stuff that they kind of like threw up the screen but yes. they actually did a really good job of working it so i'm kind of like man why did i give blood a four what are they <laughs> doing so I think we um, were just really disappointed that it wasn't vampires. And so we were like, uh, maybe, maybe it's that whole vampire thing just yeah. totally messed us up. Yeah. And then, and then, I mean, while it did, while it did do a, a good job of putting a bunch of stuff together, 
some of the acting wasn't great and i mean i remember that and then also they did kind of leave some stuff on the ending was i thought the ending was was fantastic though the whole thing with like the ambiguity of Moulter's phone mm-hmm. so, man, I, I might have to rethink blood Ooh, okay <laughs> anyway but yeah I'll, I'll go with five on this one okay so, cool yeah yeah yep yeah, I don't know if maybe it's just, too high, but I just really more, enjoyed it. Maybe I'm just maybe I'm just getting more into that X Files mindset, and so I was still maybe strangely more crabby earlier, and I'm getting less crabby. Possibly, who knows? <laughs> maybe I'm not sure people would. I'm not sure if people would agree with that. But anyway, the show is subliminally changing your your mind. Maybe I'm being controlled by the television. <laughs> yep. So, Tori's rubbing off on me. Not the television, but you get the idea. Those are are two distinct. My enthusiasm is infectious. Soon you're going to be wearing an iHeart Scully shirt. (laughs) Maybe not not that far. (laughs) Bigfoot boobs. Yes. Scully. Mm, I don't know. So we'll see. (laughs) All right. Eight. Wow. that, That might be our furthest apart. I say that. And then I'm looking up at Pusher, which was also three points apart. So I say that, but then we were three points apart on that one as well. So I was thinking this would be our furthest apart. Yeah. And you know, like this one, it's not the best episode to like, objectively speaking, if I were to like, oh, the best episodes of season three are, I don't know that this would make like the top three or four, but it just entertained me the whole time. I was like, this is such a great idea. It's such a great the concept. Ending, and I really the enjoyed totally it. totally upturns everything. Yeah, it does. Well, that too. too. So you kind of like have so, that moment of like, what's going on? And then, ooh, Scully thinks that Mulder's after her. And like, ooh, the TV's controlling people. And the lone gunmen are going to figure it out. And then like at the end, you're like, whoa, X is in a car with a cigarette smoky man. That changes things. Yeah. I don't know how much it changes things. I mean, yeah, because it's got the lone, although the lone gunmen were in blood too. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they were also in a fearful symmetry, so them being there doesn't necessarily <laughs> bump the rating yeah. super high. But, but yeah, but yeah. yeah. I, I was just thinking, like, I was in my head. I'm totally like, oh yeah, I think Blood handled this better. And I'm looking, I gave Blood a lower score than when I was planning to give this one. So weird, but eh, who knows? Like we say, you can't always compare directly sometimes. with. Yeah, you can't because, I mean, they're all different. And like, I just thought this one had a great concept. Like I really, yeah, I thought it was really good and creepy and weird. We only have one episode left for the end of the season. So I don't have a lot of time to redo. I probably won't redo this one. It'll probably stay with a five. Yeah, I mean, that's fine. That's totally fine. I just feel, I feel weird now because I'm like, oh, but yeah, not five. All right. I stress about these ratings way more than I really. Do, <laughs> um, I mean, I but, think about, I probably overthink them a little bit too, and then I'm trying to just be like, okay, I'm gonna go with my gut because if I overthink it, I'm just gonna like. You're just trying to make sure pick. that you have a better average than I do, so you're gonna pump up a bunch of episodes. You're like, <laughs> see, I'm the true fan, Nick is poser. So I no. get it. I get it. I see. I mean, season on. three is objectively. I say objectively. Season three is. I think one of x-files best seasons it really is so okay i think my ratings will be pretty high this season i guess we'll find out when we watch season four and five 
and six yeah. and seven and eight. I and mean, nine, who knows? Maybe 10, there'll be a season in there where I'm like, this is the best season ever. You know, who knows? Yeah. I don't know. Again, my memory gets worse as the show goes on. And also I cut out somewhere in the middle. Like, I don't remember where I wasn't really watching it or I was only watching like once in a while because I wasn't home. I was working. You know, I had a job. Yeah. I was in college. I didn't have time. I didn't have cable. And so I just missed a lot of it. So again, like I don't. There might be a season where I'm like, oh, I can't believe I. Mean, depending I on how this. things go, seasons ten and eleven might get bonus points just for being short. Yeah, I mean they are very short, uh. <laughs> and I remember enjoying the reboot, the first one. But it was there were a couple of those that were really silly. I'm sure the really silly one was probably Darren Morgan's. <laughs> yeah, so those are the season ten ones. Yeah, because season ten only has six episodes. Yeah, it was pretty and then short. Season eleven has ten episodes, I believe. So, yeah. yeah. Which is crazy that two seasons actually have fewer episodes than any other season. I know. I know. So, yeah. Anyway. All right. Well, I was going to do all the like join us next, but that's what we do in the credits. So that's the credits. That. We don't have to do that now. The we credits. can just say that was wet wire. Thank you for listening. Yeah. And then we could actually do the credits. <gasps> Let's do that. I Want to Rewatch is hosted by Tori and Nick and recorded at Black Cat Studios. Hashtag really just a bedroom closet. That's right. We made this. And be sure to join us next time as we rewatch The X-Files Season 3, Episode 24, the season finale, Talita Kumi. And try to figure out if, if the, the truth, truth is, is still, still out there. there. flipped our coin oh, motherfucker this coin thing i like the coin thing but i need to remember to do it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We, I, I forget think, too i think it worked well last time when we did it before we started although we, we do two episodes that's that a little weird um, i guess you just do it at the start of each episode right yeah heads okay and heads Oh, nice. Both. All right. Heads and heads. Then I will keep it up so we can do it for the next episode. I Want to Rewatch is hosted by Tori and Nick and recorded at Black Cat Studios. Hashtag really just a bedroom closet. That's right. We made this. 
So be so be. When am I saying so? When have I ever said so? I mean, I could, but I never do. Okay, it doesn't say so. That's right. We made this, and be sure to join us next time as we rewatch the X Files season three, episode twenty four, the season finale. A word that I have not tried to practice saying. Talitha Kumi. That's what I've been saying, but I, to be fair, I've never looked it up. That's just what I've been reading it as in my head. They don't say it in the episode. Do you know what yeah. it means? What the point of it is at all? I you know? don't. I looked it up and now I don't remember. Maiden Arise. Oh. Okay. Maiden as in like? As in a woman. As a woman. Okay. Well, Arise. there's also a biblical... Uh, it's a biblical phrase of some kind, which is why I don't know it because I'm a heathen. Uh, Let me see. Let me see if I can get it. Little lamb. That makes more sense for what little they're trying girl. to do, possibly. Little girl, I say to you, arise. Or possibly little lamb, I say to you, arise. Okay, well, let me see. I hate it when they just give me the YouTube videos because they're always like a minute long. And they say, I know. And it's always like 500 things and then like finally say the word. And then, yeah. Yes. This dude does reference the biblical part. Little girl. Okay, so it's actually, according to that video, which I'm only going to listen to one, um, Talita. So the oh. H is a, is a, it's a, it's a hard T. Talita Kumi. Okay. So I've been mentally thinking of it wrong. It doesn't surprise me. I, I, I don't know if this dude's right. Um, <laughs> he talks a little bit like the amazing Yappy, but slowly. <laughs> It's like we are going to learn how to say words, especially words from the Bible. I'm doing French. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. That was um, very French. But... <laughs> 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 anyway. yeah. Oh, God. But anyway, yeah. Talita Kumi. Okay. And, and he did say it means little girl. Okay. So that's what we'll go with. Which I, Sam, we could go with the Sam stuff, right? Because they mentioned Sam a lot in that episode. So. <sighs> All right. So as we rewatch the X-Files season three, episode 24, Talita Kumi. And try to figure out if the truth is still out there. If the truth is still out there. And we'll do it one more time.